What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Disc Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all love and support, and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform, and make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Disc Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Justin Jones, welcome to the platform. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, brother. Appreciate you for having me on. Uh, nah, I appreciate you for being on. Um, and just appreciate you, your long tenure work. Um, from California all the way here to Tennessee, um, Nashville specifically. So I appreciate you, man. And uh, I'm giving you your bouquet of flowers right now uh, for just the work, the commitment that you've made and decided to live your life by. Um uh, on this earth, man. So thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, no, it's thank mutual. You. It's mutual. It's, it's our time as a generation. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I got at you by a couple of years. We yeah. still, still in the same. You still millennial too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, man, you got a, you got a lot going on, man. Uh, you are currently a candidate for District Fifty Two uh, State House of Representatives. Um, how you feeling about that? I'm excited. I mean, we've been out here working every day, um, building our volunteer capacity, door knocking, trying to um, win votes door by door and going out to the community and making sure that we let them know that we don't take their votes for granted, that we care about what matters to them, that we're going to bring that same concern to the state capitol. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, some would, you know, obviously call you an activist, community organizer, troublemaker, probably. Uh, <laughs> um a rebel agitator mm. um some call you you know son you know uh, uncle um family friend a yeah. colleague right um just because of the work that you've done and, and who you are as a person um i want i want to get into a little of that about all the things that justin is right <laughs> um and let's start in california man um you are uh, black and filipino um and from the bay area Bay Area, right and so tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how your like ethnicity your culture uh your upbringing just played a role in making up the person you are today definitely um all that i am is because of all those factors and because of you know growing up in the melting pot that the bay area is um growing up black and filipino i was raised by my grandmothers on both sides my grandmother harriet my grandma tessie um because i had a single mother who was putting herself through nursing school and so my grandmothers are the ones who taught me um instilled within me that wisdom of caring for community of caring for the next generation of, of fighting for something beyond myself and of having faith to get through all these type of hurdles and so um, i always you know honor my grandmothers and uh, I just think it was important, you know, having those experiences um, of being of being biracial and and for me too, you know, being Filipino and black. Um, it was recently that I was able to learn more about my Filipino side as well. Um, when I went to the Philippines in 2017 with my Lola, um, which is my grandmother, and my mom's side, and learned about our indigenous culture, um, is why you see me with long hair today. You know, really embracing my fullness, my wholeness, uh, something that I had compartmentalized, where I felt like I had to choose who I am, but now I'm, I'm you know, whole. 
And so um, going in the growing up in the Bay Area as well, like learning coming from a place where you had the Black Panther Party founded, you had all these movements for justice, you know, in the Bay Area, in Oakland, um, you know, it was something that you couldn't be separate from. And, and for me, um, seeing protests even long before Black Lives Matter, I grew up at a time when Oscar Grant was killed at Brookville Station. And, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I saw people power in the streets um, against police brutality, police violence. Um, and so it's just it comes from a place of justice, a place of love, a place of, of, of a legacy of liberation. And mm -hmm. so I'm grateful to be um, a child of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, man. Um, you said some key key words that I really want to hit on. Um, the first one is justice. Mm. Right. Um, we hear that chant. We want justice. Mm. Right. Um, at rallies, at protests. Um, right. Um, however, a lot of us don't stop to think about what that word justice means to mm. us personally. Mm. We, I think we a lot of times assume because yeah. we are a collective body um, rallying around a specific issue that mm. justice means the same to all of us, mm. right? Uh, which I don't always, which I don't believe is true because mm. I think we all have our own definition. So what I wanted to get from you is what does justice mean to Justin, you know? Yeah. Um, how would you define justice for yourself? I think to define justice, I got to talk about my first experience of injustice, and that was going through elementary school and seeing that as a black boy, um, when I would speak up in school, I would be told that I'm disruptive or insubordinate, but when I would see white children speak up, you would hear that they're inquisitive and articulate, and so having my voice silenced was the first injustice I experienced growing up um, in a place where you have the school-to-prison pipeline and where we had police officers in our schools, and so for me, justice is um, about dignity. Justice is about... Um, making sure that people feel like um, they are treated with dignity and that they have a voice in what's going on around them. I think justice, as Cornel West said, is, is what love looks like in public. I think it is something that's whole. I think it's something that um, is about opportunity, where we, we have an opportunity to not just survive, but to thrive, to flourish, to be um, authentic. And so um, for me, justice is, is really about a place in which we all have an equal seat at the table and that we um, feel like we are welcome at that table. Um, that is the ultimate goal of justice for me of what I want to see in this community um, every day. Another word you brought up is power, mm. right? Um, we hear people power. Mm. Uh, we hear community power building. Mm. Um, power can be looked at as something really good or something really bad, depending who has that power, mm. right? If elected, right, you would have a new kind of power for community, specifically for District 52. Mm. Um, what does power mean to you? Mm. Um, and how do you intend to use the new power that you will possibly have mm. um, as state representative for District 52? Yeah. I think one thing these past 10 years of organizing here in Nashville have taught me is that we have power and that. Um, we just don't flex that power. If we, you know, our power is why they're trying to suppress our vote because they see power in that. Our power is why they're trying to destroy, you know, our businesses, black businesses, because we have power there. Um, and so power is about the opportunity and the, you know, ability to determine our destiny. Um, and so looking at this new political power, 
um, what I hope we can leverage it for is to do the same exact things we've been fighting for. I keep telling people that I've spent 10 years begging them to change on the Hill. I've been arrested, you know, 18 times. They're trying to beg them to change. And this new power would say, we're not waiting on you to change anymore. We're changing who's in those seats. That is our power now. And so we're seizing that power. We're saying that if you don't move on, we're going to move on over you because we cannot wait anymore. We're facing an urgent situation. We're facing a time where we don't, we're not going to have another choice. And so it really is about people power for me too, as I say, though, because this seat is not just for Justin. Right. I think too many elected officials get in office and they forget, you know, that they are not um, kings or queens. They are, you know, servants of the people. And so for me, it's going to be bringing that power that's in that building outside to the community, you know, making sure that our people can get into the Capitol, making sure that people can be in these committee rooms and have their voices heard. It's about leveraging those positions um, to make sure that the people have that empowerment to, to, to speak truth to power and to do it in a way that may be uncomfortable, but that, but that is necessary and that is required in this time. And so um, I hope that people power um, again, it's, it's talking about culture, like it's something that happened in the Philippines when they overturned a dictator. It's something that we saw here, and you know, with the the black um, struggle for justice during the civil rights movement. You know, not waiting on the politicians to determine, oh, we'll desegregate, but saying we're going to sit at these lunch counters now and flex our power and say we are already going to be, um, you know, defined of Jim Crow, whether you like it or not, Mayor Ben West. We're going to defy the law because we have a power that even you can't stop. You brought up another word that I must hit on. Yeah. <laughs> um urgency mm. right um and we are diving this to a little bit more a lot of bit more i would say actually um you know there's a mass shooters crisis yeah. there's a housing crisis yeah. um there's an anti-blackness crisis yep. um there's a white supremacy crisis yeah. there's an educational crisis there's a poverty crisis mm. there's a hunger crisis mm. um and so when I hear the word urgency, when I hear the word we need to be urgent, which yeah. a lot of people say, yeah. you know, we should have been urgent yesterday. That's it. Yeah. And so I'm curious and it has me thinking and pondering, um, what does urgent mean to people? Mm. Right. When people are literally dying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what what is what does that word mean at this point? Yeah. When people are dying, yeah. like what does urgency really look like in our day and time in 2022? So I want to ask you that. What does urgency look like for you? Yeah. And what does it look like with you at the state, you know, legislator? Yeah. I mean, this is something I take personally. And I think it's why I put my body on the line time after time, because urgency means we can't wait. Um, we cannot wait because every day, every 28 hours, a, a black person is murdered by the police. You know, every day, two people in Tennessee die because they don't have health care. Um, every day we are, you know, facing this climate catastrophe with our environment. Every day, you know, we, we face, we saw just this weekend, white supremacists marching at the Juneteenth in Franklin, Tennessee. I mean, we are facing an emergency situation. And for so long as an organizer, I've been heard the word wait. You're asking for too much too soon, Justin. Um, and, and for me, um, it's frustrating because I see the suffering. I see that, you know, your, your human reaction is that we don't want this to continue to go on, that somebody's hurting our people and has gone on, you know, for far too long, we can't be silent anymore. And so for me, urgency is this push, this pressure to say that we, we have to, to escalate, we have to um, instigate. And these are things that they call us, you know, you're an instigator, you're an agitator, but agitation is how you, if you wash your clothes, that's how you get out the, the, mm -hmm. the stains. You got to agitate it. And mm -hmm. so I think for as, a, as elected official, as an organizer, our job is to continue to to create that that atmosphere to say that there is an emergency. And when you have an emergency, you don't go slowly. You know, right. the, the the fire trucks run through the red lights. We have to go through things that may not be normal. Someone who's been arrested, someone who's an organizer, may not be a normal 
person in office, but we are in an emergency situation. Right. And so for me, too, I think um, people would see this emergency if they didn't go to these people donating these, you know, these, these, you know, corporations, but they went to the people and said, okay, let's talk to you about what, what does your day to day look like and see the struggle between buying groceries or paying for bus fare or paying, you know, your bills. Like these are struggles that people are dealing with and too many politicians don't take it seriously because they're listening to Amazon. They're listening to these corporations who pay these donations, but who have no interest in changing the status quo. Um, of, of what's happening in, in, a, in a quick time frame because they're benefiting from it. You, you said something that's an, an occurring theme around um, youthful people mm-hmm. um, that tend to run for uh, offices, and that's, hey, wait your turn. Mm. Your time will come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't have the experience that's yet, it. right? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure you've been told that. Every day. Um, (laughs) How have you navigated that rhetoric? um, And how have you responded to it at this point? Yeah. It's something I heard a lot. And especially as someone who's not coming with the title of elected official running for office, someone who's 26 years old, that, um, you know, you need to wait a little bit more. You need this degree, you know, that you need to have this job salary even to run for office. You need to own a house and not be a renter. These ridiculous assertions because um, these people would be telling us to wait until we're, you know, 100. The, the truth is when they say wait, they mean no. It's a no, that we don't want you here because um, things are comfortable right now. And so I think the thing that we as young people bring is this this divergent vision is this subversive vision and subversive hope to say that the way things have been done is not how they always have to be done. And so when I hear people say, oh, you're too young, I I say it's interesting because even where we're sitting now, um, all around us, we have streets named after people who are young people who are told that you don't know, you know, what to do. We have John Lewis, you know, way. We have Di- you know Dianas Plaza down outside City Hall. You know, uh, Rip Patton is another freedom writer who we're going to name the bus terminal after. These were young people who were told, oh, you don't understand how politics work, and so don't sit at the lunch counters, don't go on the freedom rides. You you know, just wait and and let us handle this. But these were twenty year olds, 21 year olds, 18 year olds even, who said, no, we, we have a vision for a desegregated future and we're not gonna wait um, for some more convenient season. And so I say to young people, um, for me too, as somebody who's young is running, I hope that this bust open the door for other young people to run. Um, because the capital um, is so out of touch, but we as young people are going to be inheriting whatever mess is left for us. We're going to have the long-lasting implications of these policy decisions, and so we should be at the table. Um, and not, you know, whenever people tell you to wait, I will say, um, think about the source and to keep going um, and ask what is the motivation for that. It's to, it's to discourage you, but but I think our generation is rising up to say that it's our time now, right. um, and that we that we if not us, then who? If not now, then when? It's, right. So. I have to hit on this, man, because you're a Fishite, you yeah. know, yeah. Fish University, <laughs> which brought you here to Nashville, did, right? Yeah. And you brought up some names like Diane Nash and um, John Lewis, who both also attended Fisk. Yeah. Um, what does that mean to you, man, to, to, to be in that company, to have had relationships uh, with like Diane Nash and um, Rip Patton? Um, and how has that mentored you? How's that like just got at you? Um, just just talk a little bit about that, man. Cause that's that's just that's fascinating. That's entering interesting. That's just so I'm pretty sure you've you've gotten so many gems from those folks, man. So much wisdom. And I think it's just it's a blessing that we have, you know, Ms. Nash still with us. And you know, just this time last year I was going down to Montgomery with um Dr. Patton who passed away in August of last year. But 
it is such a blessing to have these elders with us because uh, so often when we learn about the civil rights movement, we try and make it uh, beyond human almost. We make, you know, Dr. King and Rosa Parks, we make them these figures who are out of reach, out of touch for us. But by talking to these elders, I've learned that um, they were people just like us. They were young people who had struggles, who had, you know, anxieties about these things, but who walked, you know, toward that fear and, and, and did things that others said were not possible. Um, I'm so blessed, particularly to know Ms. Nash. She's been a dear elder mentor, sage, um, confidant, therapist, even, you know, as I've struggled with things. And she's someone who um, was unique in her time. She was a young woman who led the civil rights movement at a time of patriarchy, at a time, um, you know, of, of paternalism. Mm -hmm. And yet she she had that courage to, to take on the Bull Connors of the world and to take on even some folks in the movement and say um, that this is our vision and that it, it's about the people. And so um, one of the greatest things that Ms. Nash taught me was in 2020. And that's when the um, granite marker at the old courthouse was, was destroyed. And everyone was talking about, oh, this monument honoring Ms. Nash confronting Mary Ben West was destroyed. So I called Ms. Nash and said, you know, everyone in the city is talking about this marker and now they want to name the plaza after you or, you know, name the street after you. She said, uh, Justin, I'd rather if you all would name a movement in my honor than a monument. Mm. Um, and I think that's so important because we have so many monuments that we love to talk about the civil rights movement and yet we forget to continue the movement. We mm. talk about it like it's over. Mm. And yet, you know, even though the lunch counter is here, even where the studio is, are desegregated, how many of our people cannot afford to eat at the lunch counters? Right. Um, how many people are struggling to pay their bills? And when we get on the, the bus station across the street, across the street, like we still have the second part of the civil rights movement that Dr. King was assassinated for, which was economic justice, right. um, that we rarely talk about. And I think that's intentional. And even more so now in Tennessee, we're trying to make it illegal to talk about these things um, and make it unlawful by passing laws to ban history because they're so fearful of us knowing our history. And so I would say it, that whether it's these civil rights elders or your own grandparents and, and, and elders in your home, these stories are something that we have to keep and capture because um, they're sacred stories. Right. And so we have to continue that legacy. I want to kind of pivot back to, to, to you, to Justin. Your experience, your age, your youthfulness. Um, I want to go to your look, right? One would say you don't look like the typical person that's running for uh, office, right? You know, you don't. You're not walking around with a two-piece, three-piece suit. You don't have a, you know, uh, you know, a short, you know, cut, whatever, uh, um, or anything like that. You were, you are you, right? You are you, um, which I appreciate. I'm pretty sure many others appreciate, but many people going to these roles uh, and conform, mm. assimilate. Mm. to what they believe they must look like in order to be successful mm -hmm. um, and to get the votes yeah. and to relate to the people or have the people relate to them. Yeah. Um, why have you chosen to to continue down that path and have you gotten any pushback um, by staying genuinely you? That's a <laughs> that is... Um, That question is one that I've had to reflect on a lot throughout this campaign, and it touches on a lot because one of the first critiques I got when I said I'm running for office, um, I consistently got was that, Justin, you need to cut your hair. Justin, you mm. need to take out your earrings. Mm. Um, and I, I made a very conscious decision that if I start letting people change me then, then it was a very dangerous 
precedent that I would change in office. And so I've, it's been important to be me, to, to be, you know, people said, tone it down, Justin. You know, you, you're you not an organizer activist anymore. You're running for office. But, but, but the reason I'm running for office is because of those experiences as an organizer. So why would I change? Why would I change what I've been fighting for? Why would I change how I talk? Tone it down, Justin. You know, don't rock the boat. Um, I just had a donor email me last night and, and, and condemning me saying that I'm not someone who can get along with the Republican supermajority and that, you know, I need to, you know, to think about, you know, how I talk about, you know, about white supremacy and even things like that. And I, I just found it interesting that people think that they can change you. And so I told him, you know, he can keep his donation because I'm not going to change what we're fighting for. Um, because um, at the end of the day, it's not even for people like that. It's, it's for the people I've met who are struggling, who've informed me. And, and those people um, said, be you. One lady said, be you, baby. I'm so proud of you for just being you, be your authentic self, and don't let the people change God's calling on your life. And so I'm, I'm going to continue to to show up as I, how I am. Um, you, you, I might get my hair braided up when I go to the legislature. I'm going to be me, though, because I think that we need to disrupt white spaces with black excellence. Mm. We need to disrupt white spaces with black excellence no matter where it is, whether it's the business room or whether it's the state capitol, because um, this is the people's house. And you should not have to be, you know, a white male lobbyist to feel comfortable in that building. Right. Um, all people should feel comfortable. And as you are, I mean, I, I come in jeans and I'm the only one in jeans at the capitol. But we are working class people. This is how we look. Right. And so I think it's important to, to continue to, to exist as who we are um, and to not allow them to break down who we are, to say that we have to conform um, because for too long we've been told that and, and it has not freed our people. Um, and so we need to be bold. We need to be authentic and we need to, 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 to be a light that maybe inspires other people to say that you can be yourself as well, too. Um, and, and, and that whatever this, this mythology has taught us that we have to um, you know, compartmentalize our, our, our whole selves or have to contort ourselves and, and break that, that, that bond. For me, having long hair is a connection to my ancestors. For me, it's a connection to my lineage, to know who I am um, as I show up every day. And so I'm going to continue to be me and, <laughs> and, and continue to, to disrupt these spaces. As, as you should, you know, as you should. You mentioned um, your activism and community organizer background, right? Um, and some would say there's a narrative, right, um, that it is hard to transition from being a community organizer to being someone working in the state legislature. Um, how would you respond to that? And also, how would you see your, your, your experience mm -hmm. as a community organizer, as somebody who's fighting for justice, fighting for people power, um, being something that will actually maybe even help you, mm -hmm. right, um, if elected? Definitely. I think, first of all, the definition of organizer is, should be about empowering other people to recognize their power and to leverage that power collectively. And I think that is definitely needed in our state legislature um, to not just organize our caucus, which also needs to be organized as, as the minority party, as, a, as the dissenting party. How do we mobilize and, and, and create one accord so we can actually be effective in challenging the Republican supermajority who's who's been so effective in getting their message out and, 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 and pushing these harmful policies. And so as an organizer, it's about strategy. It's about connecting to people and translating things that might, may be out of touch. No one knows what's happening at the Capitol. So I told my district, one of the first things I'm going to do is send weekly updates about these are the bills happening, these are the committees happening, these are the calls to action. You can call this chairman of this committee. You can come to this committee at this time and testify. But we need to start making it accessible to people and letting them know how they can show up and, 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 and stand up for what they are concerned about. And so I think that's one of the biggest roles that we have as lawmakers and as organizers is to make things relatable to people, make them, to help them understand how to leverage who they are and, and their collective power. Um, secondly, what I would do is make sure that we 
um, are effective in going not just in Nashville, but I think we need to organize across the state and connect the dots for people that the same issues impacting our Metro General Hospital here in North Nashville are the same issues impacting these rural hospitals in other counties. And yet they've been tricked to believe that um, the party in control is working in their interests. And so we need to go out and organize these rural counties in, in solidarity with Metro Nashville and say, how can we build power together statewide? And mm -hmm. so... Um, I said right after my election on August 4th, I'm going outside of Nashville. I'm going, I'm going to be in Nashville, but I'm also going to go to some of these rural counties where you don't see people who look like me and let them know that these, this is a statewide movement for people power that is anti-racism, um, anti-poverty, but it's pro-justice, pro-worker. It's about uplifting all in our state um, because these millionaires who control our state, Governor Bill Lee, obviously are not acting in the interests of, of everyday Tennesseans. And so we need, to, we need to shift that narrative and we need to do it in a way that is organized and effective and, and impactful. And you brought up something um, about like sending out weekly um, weekly newsletters and updates and stuff to your constituents. Um, makes me think about like transparency, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, many people don't know yeah. what is going on um, at the state legislature. They don't know what bills are getting passed or what is even being talked about yeah. in these committees until it's too late. Yeah. Right. Um, you go up there often. So, you know, when they're in session, you up there causing <laughs> havoc and questioning and, and, and everybody's not doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not everybody else is going to work and yeah. dealing with the things they have to deal with. Yeah. With that, with the lack of understanding from community, a lack of like kind of political education sometimes could lead to um, un unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, as you mentioned, right now, there's a supermajority of Republicans. Yeah. So the Democrats can only do so much a reality at this mm. particular moment. Yeah. Right. Um, and also being just a black man, being a black candidate, the black community tends to put candidates on a pedestal. Mm. Right. And expect yeah. more. Yeah. Um, and sometimes due to lack of understanding, yeah. their expectations are too high. Mm. Right. Because they just don't know the power that you actually have and what's actually going on. Yeah. How do you plan to make sure people understand the realistic expectations that can happen yeah. under the current situation at the state legislature and people can understand by being transparent what is happening, what is not happening, what you can actually do, mm -hmm. what you can't do, yeah. so their political education um, is at the highest degree where they can have realistic expectations to what their community can receive, yeah. get, not get, um, and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think it's an important one. Because um, first of all, I'll say is that I'm running um, as to be one member out of 99 in the House, and then there's a whole separate body um, in the Senate, 33 members, and so I'm going as one voice. But I think what is important to remind people is that. Um, and right now, too, I should say that there's 25 Democrats out of 99, so it's a super minority, which means Republicans can do anything they want without even talking to the Democrats. And so our job as a, as a super minority party, a super minority dissenting voice, is to be that dissenting voice, is to try and obstruct the process when it's harming people in Tennessee. And so this year we saw harmful bills that felonized, made it a felony to be homeless. We should have put up every roadblock we had. We should have you know, used every um, legislative tool we had to stop that bill. And then if that didn't work, go to direct action. We should have sat on the floor. We should have walked out. We should, you know, this is what we should do with the platform that we have. Mm -hmm. And so um, I will say to, to my community and to the voters of District 52 that um, I will be um, 
not silent on the Hill. Number one, I will be vocal. I will, I will show up for them every day. Um, district 52 is the most diverse district, and I will bring that with me every time I enter those into, into those doors. Um, but what we can do is we can um, we can question what's happening. We we have the right to to to, to you know ask these um, these people sponsoring the bills every question that is of concern to our community. I'm gonna file every bill that I can. It may not get to the floor for a vote, but we will make sure that we have that discussion and we'll keep pushing until it gets passed, just like we did when we removed that statue. It took years and years of going up there to remove the Nathan before statue, but we finally got it through all these hurdles and we got that removed last year. And so I think the role really of us is to be a speed bump. Mm-hmm. Is to be is to make it uncomfortable for them to pass bad bills. Is to make it as, as to shine the light of truth on what's happening in there every day. Um, Cause I think the the hard the, the the greatest gap is is knowledge of what's going on day by day. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize how these lobbies control Capitol Hill. They don't understand that it's not even these lawmakers you know who are controlling things, but it's these lobbies who are putting their special interests and who are pushing this legislation through groups like ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, or um, Americans for Prosperity are are creating this cookie cutter legislation, which is why you see it pop up in Tennessee and then Georgia and Alabama, the same exact bill, but people are coming from national groups putting these harmful bills um, at the state level. And then when it's passed at the state level, they bring it to the national level. Mm-hmm. These are the laboratories where they come and use I mean, in practice to see, you know, oh, let's pass Stand Your Ground. Let's pass this law to take money from public education. They do it in these super red states like Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so if we can stop it here. We can, If we can put a spotlight here, it will have national implications. Right. And so it's so important for us to do that. Um, the last thing I would say is that we as lawmakers um, must not shy away from also being advocates um, that engage and stand with the people in direct action. Um, I remember when I interned in D.C., John Lewis let us sit in on the floor of Congress fight, calling for common sense gun legislation um, in 2016. Um, you know, this year in Florida, when they tried to gerrymander um, the districts, the, the black lawmakers let us sit in on the floor of the state legislature in Florida. We need to find ways that are creative mm-hmm. um, to, to create public attention and pressure on what's going on in the state capitol. And so people know we're fighting for them every day and they don't just think that um, we automatically lose because we only lose if we don't show up to fight. And the thing that I think will win at the legislature is people power. I believe that the more people who show up, the more people who make it uncomfortable for them and the more the more pressure they see, we see um, we see that we can win. We saw um, last year with the runover protester bill that we were able to stop by organizing together. I was one of the people who organized that. We showed up. We, we, we went to these these members of the committee, and we found ways to creatively engage them and to speak truth to power, and we mm-hmm. killed that bill um, together. Right. It can't be easy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually um, to do the work that you've done. In, in the manner in which you've done it, right? Um, you ha- you have a book that's that's out now um, that talks about your experience specifically at the plaza mm-hmm. yeah. um, and staying overnight and being arrested a yeah. hundred thousand times. <laughs> Mercy. Um, take us through standing your ground and something like that and really being rooted in it mm-hmm. um and seeing it through right um and how do you process that and who do you lean on mm. right um to handle things like that in all of those facets that I that I named mentally physically emotionally yeah. and spiritually yeah that's something I I talk about very um transparently in my book, and some may, may say too transparently, um, 
one thing I've been open about in the past couple of years since that experience of 2020 is the toll it takes on one's mental health to be surveilled, to be assaulted um, by police officers, to be targeted, um, to have, you know, from that summer, 14 charges um, that have now all been dismissed, but to, to feel that pressure and um, to see your name in a state dossier file when you do a public records request, to see as someone who they identified as a leader who needs to be, you know, removed and whatever that meant when they said that. And so um, it takes a toll on, on your emotional and, and mental well-being. And so um, one thing I talk about is a big difference between this generation of activists, our generation, and those who may have preceded us is that we are much open, more open about mental health issues. We, you know, we see um, this, this new movement toward healing justice work um, that recognizes that we are not robots, that, this, that we're not superheroes, that we are regular people, and these type of things have an impact on us. And so we have to connect healing to social justice, to racial justice, to resistance. Um, and so I think that's been a big thing for me and something that I've really been big at talking about now recently. Um, but the other thing I would say too is that the thing that sustains me and that I think is so important to acknowledge is that we do not do this work in silos, that we do not, that there, there are no saviors in this work. Um, and that even if you may see me standing up there and speaking, that I may stand as one person, you know, I may come as one person, but I'm standing with 10,000 people, all those who, who I lean on, these elders, people like Miss Corinne and Miss Jane and, and Miss Danita, people like my grandmothers, people like my friends and colleagues who I talk to, knowing that each of us have to, to hold each other up um, because the forces that we're up against are so... They seem so insurmountable that no person can do this by themselves, mm -hmm. and that we cannot create that mythology that there there is going to be some Messiah to save us. Right. Um, it's going to be all of us. You know, we are going to have to be a prophetic voice together, um, and it's also for safety because if you act like you can do something alone, um, they all they have to do is take you out, and then right. that's over. And so, what I've always ta talked about is is that we have to to create spaces, that this work is like a circle. We need circles of healing to discuss collectively. Decision-making, it should be a circle. Healing, it should be a circle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we should process things in a circle of, of community and that we need to do that continuously. I mean, even in this campaign, it's been a, it, it's been a cohort, a coalition of folks who I've leaned on to even know how to navigate these landmines of politics that I may have not seen as someone coming from the outside as not a career politician, um, to have that wisdom to know where and how to do things. And I may, I may do it my own way in some ways to try and do it differently, but at least we know, you know, looking backward in order to move forward. Right, and we all have blind spots, yeah. right? And we all grow on and learn. Um, but I want to ask you this kind of direct direct question, man. Do, do you feel safe here mm. in Nashville? Mm. Do I feel safe in Nashville? I think I can answer that in, in a political way and say that, you know, as a black man, where are we safe? But mm -hmm. in a more personal way, I could say as someone who's received death threats, and as someone who's received, you know, letters about from these sons of Confederates when we we're trying to remove that statue, and someone who has seen this, is that um, there was a time I did not feel safe, um, but I'm at a point now where I remember that I'm a connected to a community of people who remind me that that there that we that we have folks looking out for us, and so that some of that fear has subsided, and and so I feel. I feel like 
I'm not going to be reckless. You know, I'm not going to just walk out here and, and, and just walk toward that white supremacist rally in Franklin um, or walk toward, you know, if I see Tommy Lauren here in Tennessee but I, or, or these other white supremacists. But I do say that, um, number one, my faith sustains me and number two, community sustains me. Mm -hmm. And so that those are the buffers I lean on and that um, I think in all things, whether you're an organizer, whether you're someone running for office with a subversive message, you have to be smart and strategic. And you should not put yourself in unsafe situations, but you, but you should not let fear dictate you know, right. who, you, who you are and, and what you say. And right. so um, it's a very, I'm, I'm trying to answer directly, because um, I also want to look and say to those who, who send those threats is that you may send those threats and you may send you know, these things to try and make me feel afraid or to make us feel afraid as a movement, but we keep showing up. We will keep showing up because um, what's greater than that fear is the love that I have for my children who are coming to this world. Mm -hmm. and, and it's that love to say that I want them to live in a better future. So no, nothing that they can do to us can stop that love and that, that vision um, to say that I want a better future for those who are coming, for generations yet unborn. Yeah, man, we... Um just as being black yeah. men, we always got to be cautious, right? Yeah. Um, and that's why I say, you know, um, personally, people like to word, use the word like safe space. You know, sure. I, I say more brave space. Brave, that's it, yeah. You know, we, we, we had to, we, it, ain't, it ain't safe out here. It ain't never yeah. been safe. But that's why we, yeah. we're brave. We had to be courageous to, yeah. to do this work yeah. and, and speak truth to power yeah. and call it out. I mean, when I see those those red and blue lights, I you know, I get... Like anybody, get anxiety. Yeah. I got pulled over in, in Dixon, Tennessee, I was, you know, and, and had that and didn't know how to react. But I said, you know, I'm not going to let that fear dictate my life. But you're right, no matter where we go, mm -hmm. when I go to the Capitol, you, I see some of the same troopers who brutalized us, who threatened us. Every day I walk into that building, and, and it's crazy because I'm going to be trying to, I'm applying to work in a building where I will see these people every day. Mm -hmm. The same white supremacist um, speaker of the house, Cameron Sexton, who has made personal comments and, and, and has strategized ways to target me. I'll be working with him as a colleague. And so I'm going to a place that is not a safe place, but that we're going to make into a brave space, mm -hmm. as, as you said, brother. So there's a lot of issues that we could talk about, yeah. right? Um, whether it's the you know um, the mass shootings that have occurred, um, more specifically in uh, Buffalo and in okay. Texas, um, yeah. you know, and send, send my condolences to all the families that was affected in, in those shootings. Yeah. Um, we could talk about you know the anti-blackness. We can talk about racist policy, discriminatory policy, you know, structural <laughs> discriminatory policy. We can talk about housing, you know, crises. We can talk a lot of about a lot of issues, um, but I want to give you the time and space mm -hmm. to really touch on the key issues um, that's at the front of your mind right now mm -hmm. um, that you've been, you know, previously building around or you know, or want to continue um, in the house to build around as well, uh, if elected. Definitely. So many issues, um, as you said, and, and the mass shootings that have been happening are something that we know are not, we're not in a normal time, that this keeps happening. And what has changed? You know, we're going to wait till the next mass shooting, and then we'll do the cycle again of vigils and press conferences, and then it'll happen again. Um, and it's just frustrating um, because those two shootings in particular um, have been on my heart because they targeted our, our elders, you know, in the grocery store. You talk about where are we safe? Not even in the grocery store, you know, mm -hmm. 
grandmothers shopping for Sunday groceries murdered by white supremacists, and then children, 10 years old, in school, you know, right, getting ready for summer vacation, massacred. Um, and the police in that case, I want to say, too, did nothing, you know, right. waited outside while these children um, feared for their lives, and their parents pleaded with them to do something. And so there's so many issues, you know, with gun, gun, with gun violence, um, these AR-15s, um, but I think it's not just a gun issue, it's a white supremacy issue. We look at who's doing these mass shootings. Who did the mass shooting right here in Nashville and Antioch in my district? Mm -hmm. um, a young white man. And we look at who did the shooting at, at, in Charleston at the church, a young white man. So we have to connect it to white supremacy. Um, and also um, looking at the issue of, 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 again, the solution that I've been hearing to this is the most crazy one is because it's an issue that I think is another parallel issue, which is um, the governor saying we need more police officers in schools. And for me, the issue of, of police brutality is another issue and, and a, a police accountability. Um, I personally don't believe putting more police in schools will solve the issue, but it will, in fact, criminalize black and brown children and, and, and exacerbate the school-to-prison pipeline. Right. Um, and so I believe police violence is a crisis. Um, we may not have the same protests we had in 2020, but that issue is still going on. Mm -hmm. um, and we still have not seen accountability. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a, a big issue. Um, then I'll go here to Nashville. I think... Um, we look at what's happening in Nashville's two cities right now. It's a playground for the wealthy who are coming here, um, and then it's going to be you know, the leftovers for, for those who are working class. And so we see people being pushed out. Um, District 52 is, is the, again, one of the most diverse um, districts in the state, but it's also a working class district. Our hotel workers, our bus drivers, our teachers, this is where they live. And, and people are being pushed out to the outskirts. And so we look at this crisis of gentrification. We look at this crisis of poverty wages. Tennessee is one of the only states that doesn't have a minimum wage. So we have 725, which is the federal minimum wage. And yet the cost of living in Nashville is going up every day, I would say. It, it, is, it is an emergency, to go back to what we said in the beginning. Um, and yet we're not talking about it like it's an emergency. Right. And then today, is it 102 degrees, however hot it is outside? Um, and yet we don't want to talk about the issue of the climate crisis that's going on. Mm. Um, in fact, we have state lawmakers and, and elected officials here in Tennessee who say that it's just, you know there's no such thing as, as a climate crisis. Right. Um, and so we know that these are emergencies that we have to talk about as a generation, and we need people who see them as emergencies to be at the table to talk about them. And so these are the issues that are about my campaign, um, in addition to health care, in addition to living wages, in addition to... Um, you know, making sure that we have good public transportation for folks. Um, I don't want to see Nashville become a city just for the wealthy who are coming here from Amazon or from Boeing or from, um, you know, these other corporations, but I want it to be a, a community where, where folks like us can thrive or we can feel like we are part of something that we can feel comfortable here um, and that we can feel like this is home. Right. Um, so, yeah. You do have an opponent, which is also a good friend of yours. Yes. <laughs> Right, it makes things a little tricky, <laughs> um, but you know, uh, this is a democracy, yeah. right? And this is this is what happens, right? And I think it's good for community. Um, what separates you from your opponent um, in a way that people should vote for you um, instead of your opponent? in this election and i will say this you know um it's one of those elections that you know it's just if if we could vote two people in we would yeah. pro probably right um but that's just not the case and so you know people have to make a choice um and so why should people choose you yeah 
Well, to people District 52, I'll be honored if they would select me because I think um, I spent the past nine years at the Capitol. I've been up there um, for nine years since I was a student at Fisk University fighting for uh, voting rights of students to now. And so I've been there um, and, and have that type of knowledge of what we're up against. Um, I'm someone who's not afraid to speak truth to power even when it's not popular. I remember when I first started meeting with other lawmakers about removing that KKK statute, people said it's not possible, that you know you shouldn't focus on that, and yet we got that removed by organizing and by knowing how to navigate that space and knowing how to navigate a very toxic space in a way. Um, I think with only 25 Democrats in the House, every person needs to be present and vocal and needs to be bold and unapologetic. And, and I have a history of, of doing that on the Hill. Um, you know, I'm grateful for the support we've gotten in my races. Um, I think I'm the only race that's been endorsed by multiple state elected um, lawmakers, including Representative J.R. Hardaway, the former chairman of the Black Caucus, Representative Gloria Johnson, uh, my, my dear sister and good troublemaker who always is being targeted by the Republicans for speaking up, but who says we have to do it even if we stand alone, um, by State Senator Sarah Kyle. Um, I'm grateful for these folks who say that you're 26, but we've seen you doing the work, Justin, and we know that you'll be ready on day one. Um, I know, I know, you know, these, even the Republicans, I know them, and I know um, how we can work with them in some cases, but other ways how we're going to have to call out what's going on and how we're, you know, how we're going to go and, and, and move around them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity to serve this district. I, I, my heart is, is with um, the struggle, and I think that even as someone who's coming as an organizer, I think it's important to have someone um, who is an organizer in that space, someone who is not afraid to be an agitator, someone who's not afraid to be um, a presence that others might say is, is like is a, is a little gadfly, you know, calling out what's going on. But I think we need that now. We have folks who are arrogant and drunk with power. The supermajority, this governor who who has this hubris, has forgotten that he is a public servant. So we need folks who to remind them. We need folks who are in those rooms and who are not going to bow down to the pressure, who are not going to break under the pressure. Because um, they're going to try and break you. And I say this, you know, I'm saying this, you know, someone, I, I, how I look now, you know, I got I'm, I'm smiling, but I know that it's going to be hard up there. I know it's going to be um, rough up there. And I know it's going to be lonely up there. But I know that it's important that we do this and that we continue to keep that fire and that vision and that hope um, and that love for our people to sustain us, even in the days where it's just me in the committee room and a group of folks who are, are trying to pass these dangerous bills, that I'm going to continue to speak um, for what I believe is right, because I know um, who I'm accountable to. And so um, as we close, I want to give you a chance um, to give the listeners and the, and the, and the viewers um, anything that we maybe we didn't cover, we didn't, we didn't dive into deeply enough that you want to just kind of speak more to. Um, you know, whether it's just community in general, whether it's a specific issue or whether it's just building power and actions and just going to that emergency, urgency yeah. um, message. But uh, I want I want to give you that time and in, 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 in this space to, to do that. Mm. I think one of the greatest things I've seen, even in this journey of campaigning, is it's is, is given more confirmation that we that people are ready for something different um, as I've traveled around we door knocked every day we're door knocking going to community meetings there is this longing there's this need for folks to say that we know that's what's what's going on is, is hurting our people we know that it's not right we know that it doesn't have to be this way and so I just hope that collectively we continue to model that and 
no matter what happens on August 4th, I'll continue to be at that Capitol because I know that this is an important space um, for our people to be and to have advocates, you know, advocates. And so um, just, you know, as I'm going around, what I'm taking with me are stories of people. I'm taking stories of people, um, you know, mother whose son, um, you know, was murdered in the Waffle House shooting. Um, Ms. Shondell Brooks and her story and in hearing that testimony, I'm talking the story of people in my district who are um, refugees and hearing how they're struggling in the metro school system um, without having interpreters, without having people who care about their interests or or, 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 or marginalizing their faith. I'm taking the stories of me of the of the um, hotel workers who are struggling to pay their bills and who say that, you know, because they're undocumented, they're being treated as, as you know, as with no dignity. I, I just, these are stories that are really, um, defining this campaign for me and in this movement and giving me perspective. I think it's been a beautiful experience to be able to, to even more so than, than I had seen because it's so intensive and so, you know, so under pressure to make sure we're door knocking, just the number of people we're talking to and the, and the stories that we're hearing. And, and even folks who I thought um, may have said, oh, you're 26. They're saying that, no, we, we believe it's time for a new generation of, of, of voices. Um, because it's your time now. We 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 did, we had our turn. It's your guys' turn, and so I'm grateful for some of those folks who've come out and even come to work with us, and who are coming to use their positions um, mm -hmm. to push for us. People like Vivian Wilhoyt, the assessor of property. People like Karen Johnson, the Register of Deeds. Um, people like Councilmember Zulfas. Where it is really a coalition of folks. I'm so grateful and honored to know them, and I don't take it lightly. Um, I come on the show, um, and I just remember that there is. There is something sacred being given, and there's a lot of trust, and I really do not want to let anyone down. And so that's a lot of pressure because if people are are praying for me. They're they're you know people are saying you know we are you know we're gonna work for you and and, and put our name out. And I know that it um, there's risk to doing that because right. um, they too will be targeted. And so I, I just see that and I and I, I honor that and I think about that every morning. I wake up um, and you see these baggage under my under my eyes. So you know I'm not sleeping. I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about these people and I and I just really hold that in my heart and will continue to hold that in all that I do um, as a state representative for District 52. I want to ask you one more question um, before we really close, um, and that's challenges. Mm. Right. Um, what do you see being kind of your biggest obstacles or indoor challenges potentially entering to this new role um, at the house for District 52? Mm. I think one of the greatest challenges we have is that um, there's a lot more pressure to conform. We've talked about this, is that you are expected um, to look, look like them, talk to look like, like them, them, but also to change. Yeah. And, 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 and when you're inside and when you are a member, there's going to be that pressure. And so, I, so it's, it's so important to connect yourself with others. Again, I want to lift up Representative Gloria Johnson. She's the only member who voted against the speaker of any party to vote against the House speaker. And for that, she was kicked off of the education committee. She, her office space was taken away from her, but she remained true to herself. She is a model for me, and I, and I really honor her. I'm from Knoxville. Um, and, and, we talk frequently, but I just think, and I said, even if it's, if it's just you and me, Laura, we're going to have the Good Trouble Caucus together. We'll get kicked out together, you know, because um, we have to do this together. And so um, as I see the challenges, I just, you know, how do we um, be in a place that is a place of violence? I just want to 
I don't say that lightly either. And I want to mark that, that the Capitol is a site of violence. Mm-hmm. Every day, there, it's, it's violent to take away people's health care. It's violent to keep people in poverty. It's violent to, to give more funding to uh, THP and for them to surveil, on, you know, surveil our communities and to get militarized equipment. It's violent to make it easier to get guns than it is to vote. It's violent to continue to, to steal people's wages. Like, this is violence. Mm-hmm. And so we're entering into a space of violence. And so you have to go in there prayerful. You have to go in there with something protecting your own spirit. Um, even as a candidate right now, I said, you know, I'll do um, anything, any work it takes to win, but I'm not going to lose my soul. Mm-hmm. I want to remain true to who I am. I want, you know, I want to maintain my spirit, my joy, my light, my hope. I don't want to lose that. Because mm-hmm. um, I think if we lose that and you win an election, you've lost. Right. And so I think it's maintaining that light, maintaining that vision, um, maintaining authenticity, um, and not letting them to take that away from you, no matter what they offer, no matter what they, they try and bribe you with, you know, because they'll do that. They'll say, you can be on this committee. You can come to the governor's house for dinner. You can keep that because I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make change for my district and for my people. Um, and so that's the greatest challenge I face um, and that we all face in, in spaces where we may be the only one is how do we be, remain who we are mm. um, and keep that light. That is the greatest wisdom I got um, when I was at Fisk is a friend told me, they said, Justin, if the light that is on you is greater than the light that is within you, then that light that's on you will destroy you. Mm. You need to have something sustaining you in, inside of you. For me, it's, my, it's a prayer life. For me, it's um, a spirituality. It's, it's my altar, uh, my home. It's my ancestors. It's the divine. It's the creator um, who I connect myself to. Um, and it is community. It is all these loved ones who I talk to and these elders um, who I know that I could not be, I would not be here in this chair if it wasn't for uh, their prayers and their wisdom. Um, I would not be, be here in this world if it wasn't for them, um, and, and, and guiding me through, through nights and cycles um, where I felt like giving up on this, on this, on everything, you know? Right. I think those things are real, and I say this not lightly, but I say it because I want someone listening to this to know that um, you're not alone, and that if you struggle with those things and struggle with these doubts and these anxieties, that, um, that that's not the end of the story, right. um, that there's more, and that there are people who love you, and that we have to just continue to lift each other up. Um, and that if I can do it, you can do it. Because once I get into this seat, I hope it busts down the door for everybody else. Because I'm not just, just going in for myself. I'm going to hold the door open right. so other people can enter as well. Right. Well, man, uh, I felt that, man. I appreciate you opening up in that way. And I, I know the viewers and the listeners had to feel that, too. Mm-hmm. Whether they agree with you or not, they felt it. Mm-hmm. Um, where can people go to support you in your campaign? Mm-hmm. Um, you can check out votejustinjones.com. Um, we have our campaign um, information on there. You can read our, our platform. You can donate. You can sign up to volunteer and door knock. Um, and then, you know, we love people's vote. Uh, early voting starts July 15th through July 30th. Um, and then August 4th is Election Day. Um, but I just want them to know, too, that even after this election, you can reach me and, and um you can email info at votejustinjones.com, and, and, I, and I check that um, along with some of our volunteers. But that mess- we'll get that message. We'll be sure to be back in touch because we want to be um, accessible and communicative with all people. So, Justin, man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your availability, taking a pause on the campaign, <laughs> not knocking on doors to come and sit with me, man, and, 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 and give community um, a door open to you in this conversation. And where your mind is, where your thought is, where your heart is, where your soul is, mm-hmm. and just who you are, man. So I appreciate you 
being genuine, being authentic, and uh, being available, man, to talk to me. So thank you, man, and appreciate uh, you. I appreciate this. Appreciate you, brother, and thank right. you for for you, you know, creating this platform and for your vision and wisdom and to do this and to tell stories that need to be told. So grateful for you, brother. Nah, man, <laughs> thank you, man. Again, I'm giving your your whole bouquet of flowers right there because we got, especially as a black man, we got to give them to each other sure. um, while we can still smell them. So, man, thank you and uh, good luck on the campaign, man, and everything. And um, regardless what happens, you know, we got to have you back. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> Thank you.